So this morning, before anything is done, before every other thing follows, we would want to share a message I've titled The Blood as a Weapon. Tell you about the blood as a weapon. Can you turn your Bibles with me to Exodus 12? The verses 1 through 14. I'll quickly read through the verses. Exodus 1, 12, rather, verses 1 through 14. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt. Kindly take note because they had not exited Egypt yet. Before they exited Egypt, before the Exodus itself, they were in Egypt. The Israelites were in a land called Goshen, which was also part of the land of Egypt. And then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in that land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, on the tenth of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of the persons. According to each man's need, you shall make your count for the lamb. Verse 5. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year, you may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. Verse 7. And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lentil of the houses where they eat. Let me read verse 7 again. It's a very powerful picture here. Because we are going somewhere. And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts. Can I get a carpenter here who can tell us how the door of a house is constructed? Is it they shall, shall put it on the two doorposts and on the lentil of the houses where they eat it? Then they shall eat the flesh on that night, roasted in fire with unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs, they shall eat it. Verse 9. Do not eat it raw, nor boiled at all with water, but roasted in fire, as it's roasted in fire, its head with its legs and its entrails. You shall let none of it remain until morning, and what remains of it until morning you shall burn with fire. And thus, you shall eat it with a belt on your waist your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand. So you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Take note of that word also, Passover. Then verse 12, he says, For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt. I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses 
where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Verse 14. So this day shall be to you a memorial and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. Can we say amen to the reading of God's word? Before we go to the next set of scripture, I want to ask a question, especially those who are into construction. And maybe you're not just a carpenter. So you are, you are into construction. Uh, Mr. Formati is also into construction. He may be the best person. When we say a house, two-door posts, and it's lentil, what are we talking about? It may, we may take it for granted, but it's not everybody who may be acquainted with such terms. Can you tell us, Mr. Fumetun? You can't. Hallelujah. You can tell us. Yes, please. Yeah, before you fix a door, yes. you need a frame. So you do a frame like a rectangle, but not. The down will not come. The down will not come. Yes, please. The left and right and then the top. Then on top of it, there is something called beam, which we put iron rod and then cement in it. That is what is called lentil. Okay. That the Bible is referring to. And what are the two door then, posts? Those are the the, the, the side inside. That's right. So on that thing, that is where you are going to fix the main door on it. Okay. That is what carries the door. So you are talking about, therefore, there's a door. The doorway is the entry point. Yes, please. But the side inside of it plus the top constitute the outer, the frame. Mm, yes. All right. Thank you very much, Pastor Shebo. Put your hands together for him. All right. I, I allowed this picture to be given to all of us because as we journey, you will discover how God would want us to use the blood as a weapon. So bear in mind, there's a lentil, there's two side posts, and they were instructed to take some of the blood of the lamb that they will kill, whether from sheep or goat, and sprinkle or what, is, what was the word? They should mark the doorpost and the lentil with the blood. And then he said, for I will pass through the land. But when I see the blood, it becomes a sign that you are already covered, so I will pass over. Are you getting the point? Alright. Now, in verse 14, we saw that it became an everlasting covenant that God had established with the Israelites, even before they exited Egypt. And indeed, when you read scripture, you will discover that all throughout the nation Israel and their existence, even till today, especially those who are still into, you know, um, Judaism and the worship in the temple and trusting for the coming of the Messiah in their mind, they still practice this. It is also established in scripture that somewhere along the line, some of the Israelites forgot about this practice. In fact, that is where judges were raised and started, you know, judging them and telling them that you are wrong. Like Samuel. Samuel was a judge even before he was established as a prophet or he was a prophet and a judge. Let me put it that way. And he had to correct the people of Israel that this is the practice that God has given you and you must continue. Some of the kings also forgot about this particular ordinance, it is called the, the, the Feast of Unleaving Bread or the Passover. That's the name. So all throughout 
the generation of the nation Israel from their exodus till they became a nation, that was their practice until the time of Jesus. Are you there? Turn with me to Matthew 26. So you discover that even Jesus, before he was born, Mary, his foster father Joseph, they also used to go to Jerusalem year after year and partook of the feast of unliving bread or the Passover. But Jesus has grown up and this was just the night before he, or the night in which he was betrayed, right? That night, he also did something very beautiful. Let's take note. Matthew 26, 17 through 20, 26 through 28, because of time. Matthew 26, I read 17. Now, on the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, Mind you, we are still talking about the Passover. That's the Feast of Unliving Bread. That's another name for it. The disciples came to Jesus, saying to him, Where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? Meaning that it was a custom that Jesus met. Of course, people of God, bear in mind that the man Jesus we are referring to here was the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. Are you there? All that God allowed them to do under the old covenant was what the Bible calls a shadow of the real to come. So you find Jesus living under the law and submitting to something that actually was about him. It described him. It was all about Jesus and yet he fulfilled that command. He lived up to 33 and a half years and all throughout his existence, he also partook of the, of the Passover, of the Feast of Unliving Bread. Just think about it. If it was, I mean, it were to be you and I, probably would have just shown up that, look, all these things that you are doing is about me. I'll show you better things. But the man waited until when it mattered most and then he introduced something new which you and I are now partakers of. So in verse 17 again, Now, the, the, on the first day of the Feast of Unliving Bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying to him, Where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he, that is Jesus, said, to, said, Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, My time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. 19. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and they prepared the Passover. When evening had come, he sat down with the twelve. Alright? So let me just jump to verse 26. He has sat down with the twelve at the table at the feast of unleavened bread. This was the usual practice. Then all of a sudden, verse 26 says, and as they were eating, so they were just the normal Passover eating, but something happened while they were eating. As they were eating, Jesus took bread blessed and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take it. This is my body. 27. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them saying, drink from it. Please take note of the word drink. Okay. Drink from it. All of you for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Somebody say, amen. All right. 
You can continue up to verse 30, but let me just pause there. Just to show you a picture of what is happening here. We have the feast of unleavened bread. We have the Passover, which was instituted right from Exodus chapter 12. And all throughout their generations, they had kept the feast. Even Jesus himself kept the feast. He lived under the law. Bible says he was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Then, when his time was at hand, when he was just about exiting the, exiting the earth, he introduced something new and he even called it the cup of the New Testament, the new covenant in my blood. That is to say that up until Jesus introduced the Holy Communion, what you and I call the Holy Communion, they used to eat the roasted lamb with the unliving bread and that was the Passover. But he was telling them and telling you and I at this, you know, in this present dispensation that instead of going through the motions, going through the sacrifices, taking the lamb and killing, the lamb that was symbolically killed under the old covenant, I am that lamb. Are you there? So instead of killing an animal, now it became bread. He said he took bread and, and blessed it and broke it and said, take it. It is my body that is broken for you. So for those who believe in Jesus, we no longer practice what they used to practice under the old covenant. We don't take a lamb because the lamb has been killed. That is Jesus himself. Likewise, we do not shed animals' blood and, and post it or mark the doorpost with it any longer. Why? Because Jesus shed his blood. But there is something about the blood that I would want us to look at as we journey in scriptures. You will discover that what was given Moses and Aaron under the old covenant that they should tell the people to mark the doorpost and the lentil with the blood of the animals. It is done in our time, but in a different way. Hallelujah. Are you there? Because we are dealing with blood that is superior to the blood of animals. We are talking about the blood of Jesus. How do we apply that blood and how does it become a weapon for us? Because under the old covenant, it was that blood that could make a whole angel of death passing through town, pass over their houses because their houses were marked with the blood. Does it apply to our time? Yes. How does it apply to our time? That is why we are here today. Hallelujah. Now, to move to the next scripture, just bear in mind, in John 20, you may not need to turn there, John 20 verse 17, you can write it down. John 20 actually describes when Jesus was... I mean, he had risen from the dead. Jesus had risen from the dead. The very first morning, there are some women who had gone to the tomb. Three Marys, actually. And the Bible says that they met Jesus and Jesus told them, don't touch me. For I have not yet ascended to my father and to your father, nor to my God, nor to your God. For those who have been here for long, I have taught on that verse before because some people have misinterpreted that verse to say that Jesus said the women shouldn't touch him but that same evening he went to the I mean the disciples 
and they touched him. They actually, you know, related with him. So, was Jesus discriminating against women? No. No. We discovered in that teaching, I don't know whether it was last year or uh, early this year, but we discovered in that teaching that Jesus, according to the book of Hebrews, is the high priest of the new covenant. Okay? Under the old covenant, it was only the high priest who could take the blood that they would I mean, they shed under the old covenant, could take it into the inner sanctuary, into the Holy of Holies, and offered it on the altar in the Holy of Holies as a sacrifice unto God. Jesus, as a high priest, this time around, he was both the high priest and the sacrifice. So he went to heaven itself. Take note, the very first day that he rose from the dead, it is not clearly stated in scripture, but from the book of Hebrews, you discover that because he said, I ascend to my father. And you and I know that it was after 40 days after he had risen from the dead that he ascended. So does that mean that within the 40 days nobody touched him? No. He was giving us a picture. Or scripture is giving us a picture of what happened the very first moment that he rose from the dead. He ascended to heaven. That very moment of resurrection. And presented his blood on the altar that is in the inner sanctuary in heaven. If you know about the sanctuary that Moses built, God told him that I have given you instructions, build this sanctuary according to the pattern that I've shown you from heaven. So everything that you see about the sanctuary that Moses built was actually a prototype. It was, it was a, a shadow of the real in heaven. Here comes the high priest, Jesus, who had shed his blood. And then he, the, the Marys, the three Marys meet him and he tells them, don't touch me for I have not yet ascended to my father not to your father, to my God and to your God. In other words, he was to present his blood as a high priest, and which he did. And that blood is still on the altar in the inner sanctuary in heaven. And that same day, we know he came down and then he was with them from that evening till his 40th day. He now went back physically in their sight to heaven on Mount Olives. Please, are you there? I established... I, I just brought this picture to let us go to Hebrews 12 to see something. Hebrews 12. Still bear in mind about the doorposts. And then we'll come back to the Holy Communion. Hebrews chapter 12. Let me take from verse 22. Talking about the difference between those who left Egypt. They got to Mount Sinai. The Bible says we have not come to that mount. Look at where we got to. Hebrews 12. When we got born again. We're born into Zion itself. Hebrews 12, 22 says. But you have come to Mount Zion. Say I have come to Mount Zion. He didn't say you will go or you will get to. You have. Once you are born again. Once you have believed in Jesus. And you have confessed him as your Lord. You have come. Say I have come. You have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. Remember, under the old covenant, they used to travel year after year to the earthly Jerusalem. But we have come to the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels. Have you seen how we are not alone? Say, I'm not alone. 23, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven. Say, I am registered in heaven. In heaven. Registered. 
And you, you and I belong to the general assembly and church of the firstborn. That is Jesus Christ. Then he said, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect. One day we can talk about that. Verse 24, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. Take note of that name. Jesus is the mediator, the administrator. He is the initiator and the propagator and the concluder. I don't know what word to use. Of the new covenant. And to the blood of sprinkling. That is why I went to John 20. Okay, To the blood of sprinkling. When was the blood sprinkled? That very first day he rose on the dead. He had to sprinkle his own blood. So this is a heavenly picture. We are not dealing with an earthly sanctuary here. We are dealing with a heavenly sanctuary. He says, you have come to the blood of sprinkling. That speaks better things than that of Abel. Somebody say amen. amen. Now, when does this blood of sprinkling work for you and I? Under the old covenant, we knew that they had to mark their doorposts, the lentil, and then the, door, the two side posts with the blood of the animals, the lambs that they killed. But when do we apply this same blood, which is superior to the blood of animals, which has been sprinkled on the altar in the inner sanctuary in heaven? When do we apply it also as a weapon? When does it work for when does it work for us? When is it activated? That is why we are here this morning. Hallelujah. Can I ask a question? I hope you know that the human body, this physical body, is not the real you. I hope you know that. I hope you also know that humankind, let me say man. Is a spirit, right? And he has a soul and he lives where? In a body. So, this body is, is a house. Some say it's a house. So, if it is a house, then definitely it has a doorway. Because every house has a doorway. And some houses even have entry points and exit points. But there's a doorway. I'm giving you a picture. Because until we see the significance of what we do with the Holy Communion, we may never know how we can use it as a weapon. Is that okay? If this body, which is the residence, because God told them under the Old Covenant in Exodus 12, that the houses that you live in, mark the doorposts, mark the lentil with the blood. So if this is the new covenant, introduced by the blood of Jesus through the cup of blessing that we bless, where is the doorway to this house? Because we must mark it with the blood as well. What do you think is a doorway? Pastor, you are answering the question. That's the point. Someone say, you can't say it. Let me hear. Your mouth. Someone say, my mouth. Oh, you are not saying that you mean it. Say, my mouth. My mouth. Is the doorway. Is the doorway. To this house. To this house. That is why I told you to take note of the word. Take. Drink it. Okay. Drink it. In fact, Paul was not around when Jesus Christ gave that instruction. In Matthew 26, we read. 
But Paul in Luke, sorry, 1 Corinthians 11, actually brought the revelation. He said, I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat. Did you hear the word, eat? This is my body, which is broken for you. Likewise, after supper, he took the cup and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Drink it, all of it. Drink it. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do proclaim, you do show forth the Lord's death, so he comes. So your mouth is the doorway of this vessel, this body. Say my mouth is the doorway. Is the doorway. At least, at least those of us who are acquainted with let me call it Christian experiences. I can just give one example. If you have ever read a book called I Believe in Visions by the late Kenneth Hagan, the senior Kenneth Hagan, he tells a story, okay, of how, of course, from birth, he was told that he wasn't going to live beyond even the feeding, the, the, the feeding plan that was given. It was a feeding plan that his grandmother had prepared. But the doctor said, this boy, the diseases were many, so he wasn't going to live even beyond that. In other words, before you finish feeding him with this feeding plan, he would have been gone. But the grandmother, who had worked with this doctor for a long time, kept feeding this boy, fed him. The long and short of the story was that he outlived the, the, the infant's ages. And then until around the age of 17, he was bedfast. He was dying. He actually died three times, according to him, on a particular day during those moments. But the reason why I'm bringing the story is this. The first time he died, when everybody was around, okay, even the mom and the grandmom, no, the mom was praying in the background, praying, but other relations are going to bring a, a, a priest, a pastor, who would come and prepare his funeral, and we're asking him, so what song would you want us to sing for you on your funeral day? What are the flowers you want us to use? Whilst they were preparing all these things, he actually found himself exiting his body. Are you there? And he tells in clear picture that he exited through his mouth and then he went to hell because he had not given his heart to Christ. So he went to hell. Was, when he got to hell, in the heat of hell, a creature laid hold on him and was going to put him into the fire. And of course, once you go into the fire, you are gone forever. But a voice spoke from the heavens above that shook the heavens and hell like a leaf. And then the creature left him. And he said he found himself coming up from the tunnels of hell back into his body. And when he got to his, his bedside, he just found himself, just like you enter your, your trousers, he just found himself slipping into his body through his mouth back into his body. And this experience happened three times. All I'm saying is that your mouth is the doorway. Say, my mouth is the doorway, the doorway to my spirit. To my spirit. If you are acquainted with anybody, those of us who have acquainted, acquainted with people who pass on, and you are you you are with them, you discover that at the point of exit, such people open their mouths when they are giving up the ghost. You see that their mouths are open. That is why most often when people pass on, you see that you have to go and close 
understand? You have to go and shut them out because you have to open the doorway so you can come out. Mm. I'm not teaching deaf here this morning. Hallelujah. <laughs> I'm just teaching you the exit and the entry point to this house. It is what? The Your mouth. mouth. Why have I taken my time to explain this? There is power mm. in drinking the blood of Jesus. Whenever we drink the blood, whenever we eat the unliving bread, okay, it can be any bread in our time, but we choose to use unliving bread to signify the body of Jesus. But whenever we eat the flesh of Jesus, the broken body of Jesus, and drink his blood, it is as good as what was done under the old covenant. You are marking the doorposts, the lentil, with the blood. I thought that was a good time to give God a better clap offering. Hear this, people of God. I read Hebrews 12, 22 to 24 for a reason. It says, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem, to, um, to, to the to Jesus, the church of the, I mean, the, 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 Jesus, the, let me not misquote it. Uh, let me read it very well as it's, it's written here. It says, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem, to a numerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. Do you know what? The blood is speaking on the altar there. We have taught in this house also the, t- the title was activating the speakings of the blood. Whenever we drink the blood through our mouths, which other portion would you want to use to drink? Is it not our mouth that we used to drink? What we're doing is that just like under the old covenant, they secure their houses with the blood. Whenever the blood goes through your mouth, automatically you activate the speakings of the blood in heaven for yourself. Are you there? It becomes, whatever the blood is speaking, it is like saying amen to it. Whenever you drink, it becomes yours. And your personal, I mean, it, you, you begin to achieve the personal benefit from the speakings of the blood. Meaning that the blood can be speaking up in heaven until you drink it. Its blessing may never be yours. Can I say that again? The blood can be speaking in heaven. It is sprinkled on the altar in the inner sanctuary in heaven but until you drink it here on earth you may never benefit from it maybe we've been quoting revelations 12 11 but let me just read from verse 7 into 11 and then you you get a picture why god would want us to be partaking of the holy communion and take it as a serious weapon to overcome revelations 12 All right. Let me take it from verse 7. You understand the context of verse 11 we've always been quoting. And war broke out in heaven. Some say war. Have you seen war before? I'm sure this war was horrible. I'm in heaven and war broke out in heaven. Michael, I'm glad God himself didn't fight. Michael and his angels fought. It's not, it's not God. God is above 
his his creation. So the creator, I mean the creator will not fight with his creation, no. But angels had divided into two. One third had been swept by the tail of the dragon. That's Satan. And they were on the side of Lucifer. And two thirds were on the side of Michael, the prince. Michael, the archangel. Bible says Michael and his angels fought with a dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought. So that was the war. Just look at the picture. And I can imagine the kind of fight that was going on. But they did not prevail. Which ones? That's the dragon and his angels. They did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So, the great dragon, look at his name. Sometimes we underestimate Satan. The Bible calls him the great dragon. Are you there? So, the great dragon was cast out. That serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world, he was cast to the earth. Where was he cast to? Please take note. And his angels were cast out with him. Verse 10. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. So, now on earth, in verse 11, look at what happened, which we usually quote. Satan is not down here. Bible says, and they, that's those who are on earth here, overcame him. How? They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony and they did not love their lives to the death. Verse 12, let me add verse 12. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea. For the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, because he knows that he has but a short time. Satan knows that he has but a short time. He is, look, Satan is in for the last kill. But verse 11 gives us a clue. It gives us a hope. It gives us the answer. In the midst of Satan's great wrath, in the midst of all his stealing, killing, and destruction, the Bible says a people, he's giving us a prophetic picture. This is not something that will happen in the future. It is happening now, and it will also happen in the future. Is that okay? Yeah. You see, in the book of Revelations, you, if you are studying it, you have to study it contextually. There are some things that have happened already, some things that will happen. But here, he's giving us a picture that Satan was being cast from heaven and is here on earth, who has great wrath, looking for whom to devour. Peter says that, you know, your adversary, the devil, walking for bar, roaring like a lion, looking for, seeking for whom he may devour. And he says, whom resisted fast. How do you resist steadfast in the faith? Verse 11 of Revelation 12 says, they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. And what do you do with the blood? You see, listen, what some of us do with the blood of the lamb is that instead of you drinking the blood, you can say the blood of Jesus against you. It may not work like that. I use the blood of Jesus as a weapon. It will not work like that. The answer is what? Drink it. Mark the doorposts with the blood. That was what he gave them in Exodus, Exodus 12. So how do you, for you all your life, you have never, you have never 
partaking, is that the right English? You have never been a partaker of the Holy Communion. You have never drunk the blood and you keep on saying that I mark myself with the blood. It does not work like that. He says drink it. Period. Drink it. Once you drink it, that's the doorpost. Your mouth is the doorpost. You are marking the doorpost with the blood. Drink it. He didn't say sprinkle it. It's already sprinkled in heaven. When you drink it, the one that is in heaven is activated for you. He didn't say that. Go and say that. Hey, I take the blood of Jesus Christ. I turn it into an atomic bomb and throw it. It won't work. Drink it. Period. Now I know I'm stepping on some tools. When I said the blood as a weapon, I know some people were wondering, where is this man going to come from? You thought I was going to say that you don't have to take the blood and turn it into an atomic bomb. No. No. What we're going to do today is the weapon. Drink it. Satan has, the Bible says he is full of wrath. He is looking for somebody to devour. Under the old covenant in Exodus 12, the angel of death was passing through town. And everyone, you see, once you are not marked by the blood, if your doorpost was not marked by the blood, there's a certain plague that already comes upon your house. And that gives that angel the sign that this one, let me enter. Bible says that you will not be part of the plague. If you read Exodus 12 very well, there was a certain plague. It's like, it's like a, an outbreak of disease. So it gives the angel of death that mm, this one, he's not marked. Let me just go in there. And every firstborn, including the firstborn of their beast, were all killed. But when he gets to a house that is marked by the blood, the doorpost, the lentil was marked by the blood. So this one, let me pass over. I'm passing through, but this one, let me pass over. I'm passing through, but this one, let me pass over. The blood has a weapon. Drink it. Don't do anything with it, but what? Drink it. Once you drink it, you have activated the one that is speaking in heaven. It's already sprinkled there. Don't go and take anything and say that I sprinkled the blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, you drink it. The house, the real house is you, 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 the body. Drink it. Karabatus prantik izigrigagaduza. I pray for this generation that we will understand the kind of warfare that we are in. It is not carnal. It is mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds and casting down imaginations and any high thing that has exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ and to having a readiness to revenge all disobedience. When our obedience is fulfilled. Take note. Having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience. When your obedience is fulfilled. One thing many people have not obeyed fully. And yet they want the word of God to work for them. Is the area of the holy communion. I don't know how you can say you are a part of the body of Christ. And Jesus. He lived under the old covenant. He was a partaker of this Passover feast year after year. But when he was about to leave the earth, he instituted something new and says, do this in remembrance of me. It is the cup of the new covenant. In my blood, drink it. And you say you are a part of the body, but you are not a partaker of it. Your, your being part of that body is questionable. 
It's questionable. Can they stand to your feet? So when we want to use the blood as a weapon, it's not an opportunity for you to now say that I, I, I take the blood of Jesus Christ as a covering. You drink it. That's all. I like it when Paul said that as often, as often, how often is often? Can I ask a question? How often is often? Often. Oh, I like that. It's a good answer. Meaning that it can even be 10 times in a day. And it can be three times in a day. It can be daily. So don't get up in the morning and say that I cover myself with the blood of Jesus. The best you can do is that square two or three. So at home, you can have church. Okay? Okay? If you don't have anybody living with you, go and look for a neighbor. That is why under the old covenant in Exodus 12, you discover that if the lamb was, you know, a house cannot get the lamb for themselves, let them team up with the next door neighbor. That's yeah. what was given. Yeah. So he is telling you that at least get somebody that will form the church with mm. you. Mm. Look for a neighbor Jesus. and break bread together mm. and drink the blood together. Amen. And you are marked. Hallelujah. Amen. As you get out there, Satan will be passing through. Jesus. His angels will be passing through. Jesus. But when they get to you, say, ah, oh, this one, I pass over. Hey. I pass over. Amen. May the blood of Jesus Christ be a covering. Amen. As we partake of the Holy Communion Amen. today, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Part of the communication we'll be bringing along today is in that thought. I titled it, Our Confidence in the blood. Can you say our confidence in the blood? And by the time we talk generally like this, you must personalize the message and tell yourself my confidence in the blood. But I use the word our in this sense because of the fact that when we are dealing with the blood, God looks at at least two or three people. Hallelujah. Are you there? When you are talking about the blood, God looks at the church and he would want us to feast together as far as the broken body of Jesus and the shed blood of Jesus is concerned. So even under the old covenant, we saw it last week that when God was giving them instructions in Exodus chapter 12, he actually told them that if you are going to kill a lamb, either of a goat or a sheep, and then your household is said that you are not enough to take responsibility for a lamb. You can join with your neighbor. Are you getting the picture? You can do what? Join with your neighbor. What God was painting, the picture he was painting with that instruction was that when it comes to the blood, when it comes to the body of Jesus, it is not only one person who makes up the body. It is one body but different members. So he gave that picture in the Old Testament to say that when we, we are applying the blood, it must not just be one person. It works better when it is two or three. For where two or three are gathered together in the name of Jesus, he, the Lord said, I am there in their midst. Hallelujah. Amen. Alright, so those who were not here last week, Sunday, we spoke along the same line and we titled it The Blood as a Weapon. And time will not permit me to go into all that. But today we're looking at a very wonderful picture of how we can build confidence in the blood. And how we can use the Holy Communion which Jesus Christ instituted. The last Passover feast Jesus had. We saw it last week Sunday. He instituted something 
greater and better than the lamb that they used to kill during the Passover feast. Because he was the lamb of God. John the Baptist looked at him and introduced him as the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So Jesus as a lamb once he was going to offer himself, they didn't need to kill any lamb again. Are you there? Because he is the lamb. The lamb of God. And once he was going to shed his blood, they didn't need to shed animal blood again. That is why we don't continue the Passover feast the way they used to do it under the old covenant. But when Jesus Christ, the night in which he was betrayed, the day or the night before he was crucified, he instituted something new. And he called it the cup of the new covenant, the new testament in his blood. And he, he took bread. He gave thanks and broke it and said, take it. This is my body, which is broken for you. That bread represented the animals that they used to eat under the old covenant. And then after supper, the Bible says he took the cup and said, this cup is a new testament in my blood. Drink it. So, at any given time, when two or three people gather together and then they bless bread and call it the body of Jesus, and then they bless the cup and call it the blood of Jesus, at that given moment, you are introducing something that Jesus Christ instituted himself. You are applying it. And by that application, I'm telling you, that is the last weapon that Satan, if he has never given up, that one, he, can, he has no choice and say, enough, I give up. Hallelujah. Amen. Are you there? Amen. All right. Time will not permit me to read a lot of scriptures today, but I'll just summarize everything. It all started in Exodus chapter 5. You may go back to the scriptures and read them because it's a whole lot. I cannot, if you want to read, then it will just be read throughout the whole day. But Exodus chapter 5 into chapter 6, chapter 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, and then by chapter 12, we see that God employed what we're going to talk about. And at that level, Satan just gave up. Can I say something? There are a lot of us here who have or who were never engaged in any battle. You were Christian, right? And But there was no trouble. There was no agitation about you until a prophetic word came over your life. And then the prophetic word just set in motion a battle that you could not appreciate. Let me tell you, there is nothing new under the sun. It happened right from Exodus chapter 5. In Exodus chapter 5, you will discover, if you read it, you will discover that God had met Moses, or rather Moses had met God, whichever way that is right. And then God commissioned him. Moses gave all the excuses, and God told him that, look, no problem, I will make you a God to Pharaoh. God means one who is in charge. In other words, I will put you in charge of Pharaoh. I know Pharaoh is the one in charge of the whole of Egypt, but I will make you in charge of Pharaoh. Said that everything that will happen in Egypt will be by your word, but I will make Aaron your prophet. So even if you are complaining that you cannot talk, Aaron will speak for you. Aaron was three years older than Moses. That was his brother. And then they went together. So in Exodus chapter 5, you see Moses go to Pharaoh and then tell Pharaoh that, that says the Lord. God who appeared to our ancestors, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob by the name the Lord God Almighty has appeared to me as Jehovah and he wants his people according to his promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to go and worship him 
three days journey and to sacrifice before him. Of course, God had in mind that he was going to fulfill his promise by taking them from Egypt to the promised land, which was, or which is Canaan. Is that, is that okay? That was God's mind. Lo and behold, that word provoked Pharaoh. Then he asked Moses, who is that God? Do I even know any God that you are talking about? Then Pharaoh said, it looks as if these people already the Israelites were in servitude. They were slaves. They were in bondage. They were, they were building Egypt. They were the, the taskmasters. I mean, the, 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 the laborers. And they had taskmasters. That's the Egyptians over them supervising their work. That statement lets my people go infuriated Pharaoh so much that he actually decided that, okay, now the taskmasters, instead of you providing the materials for them to build. Don't even supply the materials. Let them build without the materials. But within the same time period. And you can imagine. That was the beginning of the warfare. Of the nation Israel so to speak. That is the people of Israel in Egypt. What am I saying? All I'm saying is that. Some of us would never have been engaged in a battle. Until God spoke to you and said. That says the Lord. Is there anybody here who has received a prophetic word. And it looked like. Ever since the prophetic word came, life is the very opposite. Tell your neighbor, take courage. Take courage. I like the prophetic song brother Edmund brought. In other words, don't cry. Wipe your tears. It was a prophetic message you didn't know. So God is encouraging us that the fact that you receive a prophetic word and it provoked battle doesn't mean that God has abandoned you. In fact, to the extent that now when Moses and Aaron will go, if you read the subsequent chapters, they will go and talk to the Israelites. They will remind them because their, their, their complaint was that we were fine. Though we were laborers, though we were in servitude, but we were fine. At least we could eat. But now you have made our burden double. Just by coming to talk to this Pharaoh that uh, your God says that he, he wants us out. Look at what you have made, brought on us. But you, you discover in chapter 6 I would want all of us, okay, before the close of the year, take time and read Exodus chapter 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, up to 12. You will discover beautiful things. If you want to read all throughout the chapters, that will be for the whole day. So I'm just summarizing everything that happened in these chapters. By chapter 6, you discover, people of God, that God now appeared to Moses and Aaron again and said, okay, no problem. It is true that Pharaoh had multiplied the task of my people but still go to Pharaoh and tell him that let my people go and then God told Moses that I will harden his heart and I will make known all my signs I will show all my signs you know to to prove that I am the Lord well it started do you know the very first sign that Moses demonstrated before Pharaoh the magicians of Egypt also did the same. Moses, God told him that when you go, drop your rod and it will turn into a serpent. When Moses did that and it turned into a serpent, Pharaoh called the, Egyptian, um, the magicians of Egypt said, come, 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 come. Come and show Moses that we too, we got some power. So the magicians also came and dropped their rods and it also turned into serpents. The difference was that Moses' serpent swallowed the rest of the serpents of the magicians. Are you there? Let me tell you, the light shines in darkness. And the darkness comprehended it not. What does this tell us? It tells us that Satan is not natural. He is supernatural. 
Please, are you there? Those of us who want to fight the fight of faith in our natural strength, Bible says that by the arm of flesh, it says that by strength shall no man prevail, and the arm of flesh will fail you. So if you want to deal with spiritual things with your natural strength, you will fall down flat in your face, and you will know that Satan, yes, he is a defeated foe, but he is supernatural. So if you want to address him, you address him supernaturally. Amen. Are you there? Amen. Don't fight in the flesh. When Satan wants to reduce you into the flesh, stay in the spirit. Because he knows that in the flesh, he has the advantage. The reason why sometimes Satan provokes us and brings us into the flesh is so that he will get us. He will just ambush us. That's the word. He will trap you and then now deal with you in the flesh. So when Satan wants to bring you into the flesh, stay in the spirit. Am I communicating? All right. Now, moving on, there were other miracles that Moses and Aaron performed before Pharaoh. Day after day, they will go to Pharaoh and then they will tell him, God says, he said, that says the Lord, let my people go. And then you will find Pharaoh calling the magicians and they also perform those signs and wonders. But it got to a time, listen, Satan has a limit. It got to a time. There was a particular miracle Moses performed and by Aaron and the Bible says the Egyptians could not. Do you know the, the miracle? It was, it was the, the boils. Even before the boils that came over them, there were some miracles. That's what I'm saying that time will not permit me if you want to go chapter after chapter. But you discover that there was a time where the magicians were limited. They could not do what. And in fact, they went to Pharaoh and said, this one is the finger of God. So you better let these people go. But the Bible says, and Pharaoh hardened his heart. Do you think Satan gives up easily? Do you know why Satan doesn't, doesn't give up? Can I answer that question? Do you know why Satan doesn't give up? The reason why Satan doesn't give up is that he's already condemned. His place has been determined without compromise. God will not change his mind as far as Satan's final place is concerned. Satan does not lose anything because he has lost it already. So if you give up, he has the advantage because he doesn't lose anything. His place, according to Matthew 25 verse 41, is the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. He knows it. Bible says that Peter tells us, he said, be vigilant, be sober, for your adversary, the devil, walketh about roaring like a lion, seeking whom he may devour, because, and then in Revelations, we, we, we see that he is full of wrath because he knows that he has but a short time. Revelations chapter 12. Are you there? Full of wrath. It's a war to the inhabitants of the earth because your adversary, Satan, is in your midst. And he is full of wrath because he knows that he has but a short time. He knows his time is near. So he doesn't lose anything because he has lost everything already. So you and I who are fighting the good fight of faith. Instead of giving up. We should quit like men. Bible says quit you like men. In other words be strong. In the midst of the battles. You can still tell yourself that I'm not going down. I'm not allowing this storm to drown me. I will stay afloat. I will stay on top of the storms. Are you there? Yes, the very sir. storm that was meant to drown me. I will use it as a chariot. So somewhere along the line. The Egyptian magicians gave up because they could not perform the miracles that 
Moses and Aaron were performing. But even that, take note, even that, Pharaoh still had in his heart. There were so many things from hail. You know, hail storm. Hail storm mixed with fire that came and ran across the whole land and cleared all their cultivation, destroyed everything, said that they wouldn't even have anything to eat. The Bible says that nothing of a search happened in Goshen, where the Israelites were. Even that, Pharaoh didn't give up. Then the next day, God now added another thing from frogs to lies. You know lies. These days we don't have lies. They are there. But they are not common. But there was lies everywhere. Singular is laos. Hmm? Lies. Everywhere. From boils to frogs to lies to their rivers turned into blood. And the Bible said the land was thinking. Their animals dying. Everything that God did, Pharaoh still had in his heart. People of God, what am I saying? Do you think Satan just gives up? Just because he said out. He said, oh, I'm going because he said out. No. He will always fight back. That is what the Bible says. It's the good fight of faith. Stay strong. When Satan says, I won't go, he says, you are going. But if you just give up and say, because he says, I'm not going, then that's it. Because he doesn't lose anything. Why? Because he has lost everything already. Hallelujah. Amen. But there was one final thing that God did that Pharaoh could not resist. That's what I'm talking about this morning. That's my message. Our confidence in the blood. Say, our confidence, confidence in the blood. In the blood. Because God decided that he will perform all his signs before Pharaoh. Just to prove that he is God. But he also knew that there was one last moment. Which was actually a picture of what Jesus Christ would come and accomplish. And he has done it. So those of us who are in Christ. Who have access to the blood of Jesus. We should have this great confidence. That nothing in this world can topple us over. Hallelujah. Amen. The people of God must build so much confidence in the blood of Jesus that any time for communion is the best moment for the church. I'm telling you. Let me just digress one second and tell you four things that, that build the church, that unite the church, that make us strong and one. Four things. Hallelujah. Amen. So that you will know that God has us in mind and he wants to treat us differently from the rest of the world. In fact, when you look at Exodus chapter 12, by the time we get to Exodus chapter 12, when God gave them instruction about they killing the animal, that's the lamb of either a goat or a sheep, and using the blood, he told them that any stranger amongst you should not be a partaker of it. Unless that stranger is circumcised. And in Christ Jesus, the circumcision is not physical circumcision. Bible talks about the circumcision of the heart. When your heart is changed, when you are born again, when you become a child of God, that gives you access to something that the rest of the world doesn't have. Are you there? So, there are four things that God uses to unite the church, to bring us together, to make us one, such that it doesn't matter how Satan has resisted when we apply those four things, there is no way you will not give up. Hallelujah. Oftentimes, because we don't know this, we allow Satan also to just eat into our mess and then div divide us. His philosophy and his rule is divide and rule. That's how you praise. But four things. Number one. Number one is the coming of the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. 
Some say the coming of the Holy Spirit. Whenever a believer receives the Holy Spirit, he is given the ability to commune with heaven. Do you know in Genesis chapter 11, something happened. God divided the whole world through tongues. There was one language until Genesis chapter 11, the whole world. But when men decided to build and make a name for themselves, God divided the whole world by languages. He scattered them abroad. And then that confused them and stopped them from doing what they wanted to do in Genesis chapter 11. But then you find in Acts chapter 2, God used the same phenomenon of languages to unite a people. Hallelujah. And to start a new move called the church of Jesus Christ. When the Holy Spirit came, they, they heard them speak with other tongues. Some said that, oh, but they spoke in tongues that others could hear. But the people themselves couldn't understand what they were saying. So it was still unknown tongues. Are you there? Whether tongues of men or of angels, there was something that God did. Whenever we receive the Holy Spirit and then we begin to speak in tongues, do you know what happens? It binds us together. It unites us as a force. I'm telling you, there is no greater unity that the church can achieve than the unity that comes by the receiving of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that by one spirit are we all baptized into one body. It's the same Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that made you a member of the body of Christ made me also a member of the body of Christ. And then you receive him into you. That is a miracle. Hallelujah. So because you have the Holy Spirit and have the Holy Spirit, it makes us one. He may talk to you and then also prompt me. So by the time I meet you, I just know what is in your mind. Why? Because it is one spirit. That is how we are united. Hallelujah. Amen. Number two, so we are talking about receiving the Holy Spirit and speaking in other tongues. That's how God builds us as one. Number two is Christian baptism in water. I pray that before the close of the year, we've been talking about it. I know that we are supposed to do some number of baptisms. There are some of us here who have been born again, but we have taught about Christian baptism in water and we are supposed to have a beginner's class and train, you know, or teach rather, teach some people the knowledge of Christian baptism in water and gets them immersed in water. Hallelujah. That is one concept by which God unites the body. Because you went through the water, I went through the water. Bible says that we have one spirit, one baptism. Are you there? One baptism. So that is another pillar that God uses to unite the church. One baptism. I'm talking about baptism in water. What we call baptism in the Holy Spirit, let me tell you something, it's not baptism in the Holy Spirit. Many people receive the Holy Spirit and they start speaking in tongues and then they say they are baptized in the Holy Spirit. I beg to differ from that concept. No, I have taught these things so you can go back to our messages. You will discover that it is one thing to receive the Holy Spirit, it's another thing to be filled with the Holy Spirit and then it's another thing to be immersed in the Holy Spirit. That is baptized in the Holy Spirit. All three can happen the same day, like it happened in Acts chapter 2. They received the Holy Spirit, they were filled, and then they were baptized. But many times, many people receive the Holy Spirit, and they don't know that we are supposed to be ever filled with the Spirit. We are supposed to always engage the Holy Spirit to be filled with Him, so that we can be immersed in Him. Baptism means to be immersed in Him. So, those who have received the Holy Spirit and speak in other tongues, may conclude that 
I am baptized in the Holy Spirit. Please go back to my message. You will discover that when you are truly baptized in the Holy Spirit, you don't even have, even how to die, if you are to die, you don't even have a choice. True baptism takes over your personality, your being, your thinking, such that you don't do your will any longer by the will of the Father. Hallelujah. So, let me not go back to that message, but you can go back to our podcast, our YouTube messages. They are all there. I spoke a lot about baptism in the Holy Spirit and you've got to learn, receive the Holy Spirit and baptism in the Holy Spirit. There's the difference. Is that okay? But number two, that unites us, I said, is what? Christian baptism in water. If you are here, you're born again and you have not been baptized in water yet, there is something that is missing. Yes, you belong. But you are robbing yourself of a certain spiritual advantage that those who are baptized in water enjoy. Are you there? Why don't you fulfill all righteousness when you know right? Do right. It's as simple as that. Number three. The third thing that God uses to unite us is the social aspect of church life. Even Jesus, do you know he went to a wedding ceremony? The first miracle he ever did was not at, at a wedding ceremony. And Jesus also went to a funeral. In his case, he actually went and raised the dead back to life. I pray that we'll have funerals where we'll go. Instead of going to bury the person, we'll raise the person back to life. Hallelujah. <laughs> Apostle Paul made a point in 1 Corinthians. He says that if those who do not believe, talking about unbelievers, beat you to a, I mean, to a feast or invite you, let me use the modern language, invite you to a party and you feel like going, go. And whatever I said before you, eat. Bless it and eat it. That tells you that not only Jesus, but even in the epistles, we are allowed to have feast. Thank God, in the course of the year, into early next year, we'll have a love feast. Hallelujah. That's a social aspect of church. Feasting together. Eating together. Having marriage ceremonies, engagements, wedding, blessing and dedicating children is part of the social life. And then also mourning with those who mourn. Like some of us were in the Volta region yesterday to mourn with a brother who lost the father, Mr. Melville. Are you there? Some of us were around. Last, I mean yesterday, to do what? To just, because Bible says, mourn with those who mourn and rejoice with those who rejoice. It is part of the unity of the church. The social aspect of church can never be taken away. There's a time for everything. Hallelujah. Amen. When it's time for celebration, celebrate. When it's time for mourning, identify with those who mourn and empathize with them. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Number four. The fourth thing, the fourth thing that God uses to unite us is what we are talking about today, the Holy Communion. Someone say the Holy Communion. To the extent that if you are not a part of the body, you are not permitted to partake of the Holy Communion. That tells you you are not a part of us. Are you there? We encourage everybody to be a part, but so long as you don't have Jesus, you are not a part. So you cannot, in fact, you even be bringing a curse upon yourself. But let me say this. I said all these four things to say that if, for instance, as a church, International Prayer Resort Ministries, we say we are having church. How many years now? Two years. 
plus, right? And then there is nothing like anybody receiving the Holy Spirit to speak in other tongues. There is nothing like people being baptized in water. There is nothing like social aspect of the church life, whether it's marriage or it's funeral or child dedication or feasting. And then there is nothing like Holy Communion. I dare say that that is not church. It's as simple as that. That is not what? Church. I like the word you use. It's an organization. But a church is not just an organization. It can run on organizational principles, but the church itself is an organism. Are you there? The church runs as far as the social aspect and the administrative aspect is concerned. We use organizational principles, but that is more than the church. The church doesn't just run on organizational and administrative principles. It is actually an organism. It's a being. Jesus is the head and we are members of the same body. So if you are in a church and then the owner of the church, the head of the church, the one who started the church, Jesus Christ himself says that these are the foundations. It is like the four corners of a house. These are the pillars on which you hang the church and you say you will not do it. You are not having a church. You are only having an organization. Amen. Let me tell you that I hear the spirit say that strengthen the things that remain. What does that mean? The things I've just mentioned, strengthen them. If we're going to have a solid church that can never be toppled over, these four things must be done consistently, constantly, every day. Hallelujah. Every now and then, we must factor into our programming people receiving the Holy Spirit. Because whether we like it or not, new people will come in. They may come and find us praying in tongues and say, what is this? They must be referred to our messages on speaking in tongues, receiving the Holy Spirit, and then they also get in there. Every now and then, people get born again. We must get them baptized in water. Every now and then, people will be marrying. We must associate with them. People may lose a loved one. We must associate with them. Somebody may be doing child education. We must associate with them. That's a social aspect. And then finally, every now and then, like this coming Wednesday, it's a, it's a communion service. It's a revival and communion service. Please don't absent yourself. Can you tell your neighbor, don't don't absent yourself. absent yourself you have no idea listen we are talking about our confidence in the blood you have no idea the provision God has given us some of the prayers we are praying they may never be answered until we do this one thing by partaking of the holy communion because we saw in Exodus chapter 12 last week Sunday, and that is where I'm going to, that's the final picture in Exodus chapter 12, God gave them the final instruction and told them that look, as for this one whether you like it or not Pharaoh will let you go. Amen. God himself had confidence that, look, I, I have done everything. The man says, he will still not let, but this one, it will not fail. In other words, when you have done everything and it seems nothing is working, when it comes to the blood, there is, there's a red card. That's a red card. When it comes to the blood, Satan will say, mm-mm, there is nothing that provokes Satan than when we begin to eat and drink from the cup of blessing. I'm telling you, Hallelujah. last week Sunday I said that the blood and its application is not when you stand and say that the blood of Jesus is against you. You, you have never part- been a partaker of the, of the Holy Communion before, but you are saying the blood of... Where did you get that concept from? It's when you eat and drink, it is as good as marking the side post of your house. This body is your house. I hope you know that. You are a spirit. You live in this house. So when you drink the blood, you are marking the side post and the upper door post, which we call lentil, with the blood. 
And when the enemy wants to come and destroy, when he sees the blood, you are marked, ah, you will pass over. Hallelujah. Amen. I pray in the name of Jesus Christ Amen. that IPR as a church Amen. We will take the Holy Communion Amen. more seriously. I pray. Because some of us, our trouble is not trouble. It is simply because the enemy you are dealing with doesn't just give up. But when you apply the blood, he will say, mm, 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 this one, let me just check out because this one, I don't, I, even Exodus chapter 12, I couldn't stand. Let alone in Christ Jesus, which is upon better promises. Are you there? Amen. Say my confidence. My confidence. In the blood. In the blood. I told you that it's our confidence, but you must personalize that confidence. Said that you must look for somebody in your household who agrees with you, who is in the faith. And say, look, let's partake of the Holy Communion. It looks as if we are dealing with a trouble that cannot go. This demon keeps coming in and going out. I'm talking to the family prophetically now. Mommy, are you there? This demon keeps coming in and going out. But there's a secret. The secret is let's set a table. Let's bless this cup and call it the blood of Jesus. Amen. And eat from that table, the bread, is called the body of Jesus as a family. It can be two. It can be more than two. And then you drink. Say, this is the blood of Jesus. And let's see whether this devil can come in again. You have overcome. I'm prophesying to this family. Amen. RSM, you have overcome. Amen. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Alright. Somebody said he never read a scripture. Let me read Exodus chapter 12. Let's conclude. Exodus 12. Okay. Let me take it from verse 23. Last week we read some early verses of that scripture. But from 23, it says, For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and not allow the destroyer to come into your houses to strike you. And you shall observe this thing as an ordinance for you and your sons forever. It will come to pass, verse 25, when you come to the land which the Lord will give you, just as he promised, that you shall keep this service. And it shall be, when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? That you shall say, it is the Passover sacrifice of the Lord, who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt, when he struck the Egyptians and delivered our households. So the people bowed their heads and worshipped. Then the children of Israel went away and did so, just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so did so they did, verse 29. And it came to pass at midnight that the Lord struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne. Are you there? To the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of livestock. So Pharaoh rose in the night. He all his servants and all the Egyptians and there was a great cry in Egypt for there was not a house where there was not one dead. Are you there? Then he called for Moses and Aaron by night and said, Rise! Go out from among my people, both you and the children of Israel, and go, serve, serve the Lord your God, as you have said. Go, 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 go. I also take your flocks and your hairs, as you have said, and, he, and be gone, and bless me also. <laughs> Did he hear that? So you go, you go, go, go. I can't take this any longer. 
but bless me also. Pharaoh was asking for blessing. 33. And the Egyptians urged the people that they might send them out of the land in haste. For they said, we shall all be dead. Are you there? At this time, they couldn't contain it any longer. Listen, not when you apply the blood. Hallelujah. Say, our confidence in the blood. Amen. 34. So the people took their dough before it was leaving, having their kneading bowls bound up in their clothes on their shoulders. Now the children of Israel had done according to the word of Moses and they had asked from the Egyptians articles of silver, articles of gold and clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they granted them what they requested. Thus they planted. The King James says they spoiled. They planted the Egyptians. Then the children of Israel journeyed from Ramesses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot, besides children. A mixed multitude went up with them also, and flocks and herds, a great deal of livestock. Who are this mixed multitude? This mixed multitude were not Israelites. They were Egyptians who had believed in the God who fought for the Israelites. But the condition was that if they were going to be a part of, you know, they escaping the wrath, then they at least they should be circumcised. In other words, if anybody will ever be a partaker of the blood, the person must be born again. It's as simple as that. You must be circumcised in heart. The circumcision in the flesh was actually symbolic of, of the circumcision that God alone does in our hearts. Hallelujah. Amen. On and on and on. And then they went out. In fact, somewhere along the line, you know the story that Pharaoh felt like this one, how can I let these people go? Let me chase them. But God did his final onslaught. God opened the Red Sea by the hand of Moses. And then he allowed the Israelites to walk on dry ground. Please, have you ever seen that before? Sea opening its mouth, divided into two. And Bible says it was a heap of war here and there. And the people of Israel walked on dry ground. Please, this is the kind of God we are serving on. Unless it's another God. I don't know which battle that is confronting you. But they walk on dry ground. And when they had finished, Bible says God told Moses that stretch off your hand and close up the sea. Mind you, the Egyptians had also attempted. Satan doesn't just give up. Some of us think that before, because I said out, then it is done. No. He will resist. God said that you're going to have children. First pregnancy, miscarriage. Second pregnancy, miscarriage. Third pregnancy, miscarriage. And you have given up. Ah, I know a couple. They are in, in, in Kenya. Very wonderful couple. Tony and Elevaya. Oseso. This is a wonderful couple. And I remember some years ago, we were all together in the same fellowship. And this woman had a promise that God is going to give her twins. They had a daughter who is now a big girl. And let me tell you something. Somebody said, oh, but she even had one. Me, I've not even had one. I'm just giving you the principle. The principle was that the woman had a prophecy that she was going to give birth to twins. And I remember one of the miscarriages. This woman wept until her eyes almost bought out. Because year after year, she will conceive and something will happen and the pregnancy will just drop. Five months, it will just drop. And year after year, I just thank God that when they went back to Kenya, they didn't give up. After many years, as I'm talking, just last week or last two weeks, the twins that they had given birth were 15 years old. And I said, glory be to God. If Amen. God says it, it will happen. Hallelujah. Amen. 
So if you have a word on your life and it seems like nothing is working, just bear in mind that there is a devil who says, I will not give up. But that is when we've got to learn the secret of building confidence in the blood. Learn, if it's not even church, learn to create an atmosphere of church at home and partake of the Holy Communion. Because that one does not fail. Hallelujah. If everything, you know, seem like it has failed, not when the blood is applied. Hallelujah. Amen. I said not when the blood is applied. So this coming Wednesday, all that I'm saying is that this coming Wednesday, if you have never been a part of our revival service, there's a last but one revival service this year. It's been 12 months. Some of us have never been a part of it. But this coming Wednesday, plus the next one in December, don't absent yourself. Probably all you need, all you needed was what I'm sharing. The blood. Maybe you have prayed. You have fasted. You have done everything. But when we apply the blood, when we mark the doorposts of our house by drinking the blood, that devil will pass over. Amen. That death assignment will pass over. That sickness will pass over. That demon will pass over. Amen. Because of what? The The blood. Kindly stand to your feet.